Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal profession. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. So Marlene, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned another case where someone submitted a brief <laughs> to a court that uh, you know they used the uh, generative AI tools, uh, and we also referenced once again. This is why we can't have good things in the legal industry. I remember. I remember. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> turns out that uh, although the facts behind this, somebody actually did submit a, a brief that that had some hallucinating citation that were made up. I said it was the Tenth Circuit Court, the federal court, and I was uh, I was wrong. It's actually the Tenth Court of Appeals. Uh, here in Texas and in, in Brazos County. You were partially correct. <laughs> I got I got the 10th part right, right? 50%. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, apparently I, I sent some people up in Denver scrambling when they heard that uh, at the at the actual 10th uh, circuit court and they reached out to me and and finally we we figured it out that uh, you know it wasn't them, it was it was my mistake. So sorry about that. And I'll try to try to be a little more careful the the next time and uh, not rely upon uh, Chat GPT to write all of my introduction <laughs> here. <laughs> well, thank you very much for catching it for us. Yeah. So we do apologize for the mistake. <laughs> but you know, enough of Greg's apologies for past episodes. Let's jump into this week's episode with a couple of great guests from LegalMation. We'd like to welcome Thomas Suh, founder, COO, and board member of LegalMation, a legal technology company focused on assisting litigators with AI tools, and Ken Block, senior account executive at LegalMation. Thomas and Ken, welcome to the Geek in Review. For having us. Thanks for having us. I know we go back, I know Ken and I go back a good ways, but uh, Thomas, do you mind just kind of starting us off by giving an overview of what LegalMation does and a bit of the history behind why you, why you started the company. Sure. Try to keep it as short as possible. Being an <laughs> ex-lawyer litigator, that's asking for a lot. But uh, <laughs> So we are uh, focused exclusively on automating a lot of the, no better way to put it, a lot of the scut work that litigators and legal professionals in litigation uh, do. The cutting and pasting, some of the digging up prior uh, samples and information to respond to lawsuits or discovery requests or demand letters, all those things that no one going to law school dreams about doing uh, <laughs> when they start working. And uh, the reality is that we all had to do that as young associates, and it was par for the course. And something that, of course, you can bill for. Obviously, you know, you're, you're, I don't know what the rates are now for associates in New York, but I, I presume $500 per hour is probably not out of the realm. Um, whether you're in trial or whether you're cutting and pasting, you're still charging for the same rate. And so uh, there was really very little incentive to do anything more efficiently. Well, we decided to uh, back, I was managing a law firm before this. And we decided to experiment with uh, AI. This is about maybe initially the, the idea was drawn up about seven years ago. And one of the moments that really spurred us into looking into this was one evening, I'm walking down the, uh, the hall and I see one of our associates working late at night. Now, this is probably 11 o'clock at night or so. 
some attorneys here may say, well, that's nothing. I was going to say, he's like, a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, just, it's, it's, it's a, a sort start. of late, maybe. It's <laughs> <laughs> still by the same day, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's just say it was kind of late. And uh, I asked, what are you doing? And of course, he said, well, I'm working on discovery responses. And we have a case and this discovery I'm working on. So I said, well, when is this due? And uh, he said, well, it's, you know, we got to respond by tomorrow. And I said, tomorrow? You're still working on this, and the client has to review, most likely, and you have to maybe go back and forth a couple of times. And his response was very telling. His response was, well, I hate doing this part of my job so much that I procrastinate until the very, very end. So uh, I can't say that was the moment. Obviously, my co-founder, James, really ultimately came up with the idea uh, for the company and, and uh, some of the tasks that we're going to automate. But that was one of those moments where I remember going back now and uh, asking ourselves, well, that's the kind of stuff that machines should be doing, computers should be doing, so that we can focus on higher value work. Everyone talks about it, but no one puts it to practice. So we decided to experiment ourselves, and uh, we created a tool within the firm to automate some of those early stage litigation tasks so that we could elevate our paralegal and legal secretaries and associates to do other uh, type of work. And uh, we had no intention of uh, spinning off a new company. You know, we're, we're lawyers and we're just doing fine. There was no need to jump into a completely new sphere. We're not going through any sort of midlife crisis or anything at that point. <laughs> but when we, we present this to one of our large corporate clients at that time, they love what we're doing. And we asked them if we were to create this for you, would you be interested in being one of our licensees if we were to spin it off as a separate company? Of course, they said, we will be your partners hmm. right off the bat. And uh, that was uh, about six years ago. Since then, of course, now we're in, in multiple large uh, corporate house departments, uh, large law firms and uh, insurance companies as well. And the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. I warned you. I would give you the long-winded answer to a very simple <laughs> question. Well, here it is. I was definitely a point six. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So before we jump into the legalmation, the product, let's get a little philosophical and discuss the, the bigger topic of adopting new technology in the law firm environment. This is a big topic. A lot of people are talking about it, particularly with some of, of uh, you know, the Gen AI discussions. Now, I know you've experienced some common roadblocks when it comes to lawyers adopting new technologies. So, you know, lack of trust, skepticism, those are often big hurdles. So can you expand on why those mindsets are, are so prevalent in the legal industry and what's worked well for you in building the trust that's really needed to overcome that skepticism? Um, yeah, it is an interesting question because... In my experience, and I've been selling software in the legal space for a very long time, um, all the things you mentioned are part of it. There's skepticism. There's, we've done it a certain way for a long time. Why should we change that? There's the, I know better than you because you're not a lawyer and I am. There are um, other things that go out in the firm that are related to the partners that come into the back office, whereas there's some fears and skepticism in there that we can talk about actually at length. It's a, a very significant part of it. And I think what you find is it's very personality-based because there are camps that will never change. They're, they're not going to change. Some of it is age-based. They've just been doing this for so long. They're just not in any mode to change. They're doing well. They've done well. 
you know, nothing's going to change. It would, be, it would be a risk to do that for them. It, it right? could be a risk to their income. It could be a risk to their lifestyle. I mean, all those things are real. These, these are all human things come into it a lot. But then there's another camp, and this is sort of the challenge and, and where we've had to go find those that say, well, yeah, life is comfortable, but yeah, we need to advance. You know, we need to do new things. We need to be thinking the, you know, if it's not broke, break it philosophy. Those are kind of the people that we're looking for, and I've looked at my entire career. How do you say, yeah, this is all really good, but somebody's probably going to do it better than us if we don't look at other ways of doing things. So I think that the challenge for us is finding those folks that are open-minded enough to be willing to take a risk to some extent, but, but a, a, you know, a really controlled risk, which is, I think, a lot about what we're doing. It's a very controlled risk. Do you have a sense, I mean, just from your experience, do you have a sense of, you know, are there certain personas? Are there certain sort of types of folks that sort of fit that? If it ain't broke, we need to try and break it. Are you finding sort of like any similar characteristics that you could share? Yeah. I mean, if I were to cluster our client base, you know, between the large uh, corporate or insurance in-house staff versus law firms, they're very different because there's different incentives on both sides. I think I'll tackle the law firm sort of persona first, and I will give, uh, is it okay if I give shout outs to, to folks? Because um, yeah. there is certainly one person that I like to use as an example, and that's Ron Chapman over at Ogletree Deacons. Uh, you guys may or may not know Ron. He's actually uh, in Dallas. He is a very forward-thinking, business-minded attorney. And you know, I hate to say it, that's a rarity in our industry because he thinks about the big picture. Uh, he thinks about the sort of the benefit to the client, which ultimately transfers to a better relationship with the client, longer term relationship, doesn't worry about what the implications of efficiency tools can have in the short term, where he may lower some billable time, where he may actually you know, create more efficiencies, which go against the 0 0.6, 0 0.1, 0.2s, <laughs> as Marlene noted. So uh, that is the type of person that I think uh, has been quite successful. And, and it shows because I do know for a fact he's a very successful attorney there. And uh, he's got great clients. Uh, that's the type of lawyer that if I were a client and I had a case, a complicated case in employment, obviously, I would go to Ron because not only is he, is he thinking about my business or efficiencies, but that also tells me that he'll think about the best way to solve my problem. And that's what I really care about as a client. So that's the person on the law firm side. In the opposite of that, in fact, Chad and I, we recently had a, uh, had a conversation. Of course, I will not mention the person's name. I was going to say, it's probably best you don't uh, mention this one. One <laughs> <laughs> one, yeah. On that one, I will not. Um, this is probably more the rule than the exception in this particular case. And this is a person who's been very successful, the managing partner of this office, that was part of a larger office, and uh, when we initially showed our tool uh, as a benefit to his practice and, of course, his clients, and we did a full demo. He, he saw the output, and he was very impressed. He didn't have any questions about the substance, but immediately he asked questions about, well, but I, I bill for my time. My associates mm -hmm. bill for the time, and, and how is this going to work? 
So immediately he went to where most lawyers go, which is, hey, I'm paid for my time. Bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. And of course, you can, you can say all you want and say, well, you know, you could do more. Other, you, could, you could do other things with your time and so forth and so on. Don't you have enough to do with your time as opposed to doing this kind of work? But I think folks are built a certain way. If you don't see it right away, if you don't see the benefits of a tool like this right away, I think it's hard to change that behavior, that mindset. But like I said, I think he's probably the rule, not the exception, whereas Ron is certainly the exception. But I think it's going to change. It's going to start changing as people realize that AI is not... So we talk about AI now still in many ways as a as a novel idea or something that, oh, I should look into that. It's a new tool. Mm-hmm. No one talks about doing research online or internet. We don't talk about, oh, Marlene, are you uh, on the internet? <laughs> no one says that today, but remember, Well, only... yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just this video, right? Yeah, remember, yeah, yeah. Remember, guys, back in, you know, the mid-90s when, you know, Netscape and just started coming out, you know, people thought, wow, you can, like, look at stuff and you can do some, some you know, look at cool stuff and you can buy stuff. You can actually, like, do a transaction online. Mm-hmm. That was such a novel thing. I would say, you know, give it a few years, no one's going to talk about AI or automation or efficiency. They're just going to talk about it as, oh, that, that's just something that's just part of our workflow. So it will change. I don't know if it'll take a generation, but, uh, you know, there is a saying, right, uh, in, in the law firm business, change will come uh, one retirement at a time. <laughs> and I think that's true. Uh, I think we'll, we need sort of a fresh view on things and um, we'll eventually get there. That's the law firm side. The the corporate side, I think it's a bit different because now corporate, uh, you, you know, you, you, you saw some of the recent announcements of, uh, you know, some insurance companies having to restructure and uh, start laying off uh, some professionals and that sort of thing. Well, what better way to increase your efficiencies than to use tools and technology to be able to supplement now the, the, the lack of personnel, but more so provide better value to your customers into your buyers. So it all sort of mesh together and uh, it'll come together. Uh, there's obviously some casualties of uh, automation, but that also tells us that there's new jobs that are being created and so forth. But that, that may be a separate topic for another day. <laughs> well, I, I want to dig just a, a little bit deeper because this kind of relates back to get this, this spectrum of the way that people approach the problems. And then Kind of looking at uh, you know the typical story that we hear of a, a lot of tech companies is they you know identify a discrete problem, but I, w- I want to twist it just a little bit, and that is you know sometimes the change, especially within a legal department or, or a law firm, you know starts with identifying what the problem actually is, and a lot of times primarily it's a partner or, or general counsel that uh, you know that they are facing that discrete problem and and you finally find a way to identify that, to classify it, to explain it to them. I'm sure that's something that you work with one client at a time. So uh, I want to ask if you can give us kind of a specific example of a problem that you've sat down with with one of your clients and, and talked about using the technology to solve that. And then how do you kind of Build the you know the understanding of here's the problem first, <laughs> and then look at the technology to say okay ultimately we can apply the technology to solve this 
part of the problem. Do you have some examples that you, that you can use? Maybe, maybe Ken, you want to want to try, yeah, well, try I, that? Actually, one? I I want to take your question and just sort of add a little twist to it, also, which is. I think in our case, what I've learned, uh, you know, I've known LegalMation for a long time, been with the organization for several months, and what I've learned in a very quick period of time is that a vast majority of the people we're talking to do not even realize that this is a problem. You know, it's a specific area that we're tackling of automating complaint and discovery responses for the, some of the reasons we said earlier is that people just, this is the way we do it. We've always done it this way. It's, it's those people in the back office that start the pro Like, it's just not even part of their mindset to even think that this is a problem. And I think one of the challenges that falls on us is to really explain to them that it is the old way of doing things. It is causing you to, to be slow. The example Thomas gave earlier of his uh, late night associate there, they're just not thinking that there's anything you could even do about it. So I ha we have to get their attention that there's this thing that you're doing that is backwards. There are better ways that you can do things. We have a very simple solution that is extremely powerful that you can use and you can implement in a very rapid period of time that can be beneficial to the organization and to the clients, to you know, whomever, you know, that, that's sort of the first challenge that we have is to even get them thinking that way. And I think a lot of folks, and I, I saw it at the booth, you know, last week, I mean, there were some people that came by and kind of looked at it for a second and then I think walked away and blew us off. But then there were some others and there was, there was one gentleman in particular that I'm thinking about who, I don't think he, Thomas, he really realized it was a problem. It was actually an associate from a large law firm, came by our booth. This is just a really interesting story. He looked at the back panel of our, our display, which was very simple. I think it said three things on it. I mean, there was nothing to it, but the word response caught his eye. And he literally did the whole cartoon thing with the head, you know, flipping everything. <laughs> walked up, I, I kid you not. I mean, that's what he did. He walked up to us. He asked us what we did, explained what we did. He looked at us and said, why isn't there a line at this booth? This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. But he wasn't even thinking that this even existed till he walked past our booth. And then once he got it, oh, my goodness. And then he, you know, he proceeded to explain the entire, here's the client I'm working with, and here's the work we're doing. He gave us, you know, he spit out the entire thing to us in, in two minutes flat. And, and Thomas and I looked at each other and said, oh, oh, my goodness, if this guy doesn't get started with this next week, there's, there's something cracked in him. But the light bulb just all went on. I mean, it was, just, it was just fascinating to watch happen. But that just, you know, that doesn't happen every day of the week. We had to fly down, you know, to Florida in the back of an exhibit hall to see that happen. So <laughs> that, that was kind of a long answer to get there. But, you know, once we get them in there, and maybe, Thomas, you could take it from here, is, you know, once we get them, you know, rocking, then, then, then good things happen. Yeah, and, and I want to um, kind of see if I can direct us in, in a certain way. You've got this associate that's that's doing the work that's in that's in the trenches, and then all of a sudden the light bulb, like you said, the light bulb comes on. That may may work really well to for that light bulb to go on on the associate. How do you then catapult that into talking to the powers that be to explain to them this is a problem and here's a solution to this issue? How do you get it to that next level? That's, that's a good question. The way I would answer it is the problem has to be recognized by the powers to be. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're never going to get through for them to even listen to what you have to say. In this particular case, just piggybacking on what Ken said, this firm was handling volume arbitration cases on consumer arbitrations that, that was high volume. I, we had no idea that this many cases were being filed against this one particular client of theirs. And it turns out that... Uh, 
because they wanted to earn the business, uh, they were handling these on a flat fee basis. Now, when I hear flat fees, obviously, then the opportunities open up because the law firms then should be thinking about how to make things highly efficient because if you were to cap your fees or, or you, you agreed on the flat fee with your client, it's up to you to lower your operating expenses so that you can you can increase your profit margins. That should be a no-brainer. Uh, in this case, and that's what it was, this associate knew that this was a flat fee. So the moment he takes this, and in fact, we already have a follow-up call set up already for next week because he's already spoken to the higher ups. And of course, think of it, you know, they already have a flat fee, they have a client. Now, if they could lower, let's say, their actual costs of your associates and servicing costs by even just 20%, 30%, that's directly to their bottom line. And of course, equity partners, um, or this particular person who may be on a, on a bonus structure, I don't know what the structure is, but the partner who's benefiting from this, that's the one thing that lawyers understand is money and profit and PPP and you know, yeah. all the other good stuff. Um, so I think the right use case has to be there. The incentives have to, have to be there. But if you are a firm that handles a very bespoke, high-end, price-fixing, antitrust cases, efficiency is not the first thing on your mind because your clients are coming to you for their better company cases. I don't think they'll care about you saving another 10% here, 15% when their company is at risk of dying. It's important to recognize that AI is not for everything, and it shouldn't be for everything. It is for the right use cases and the right practice areas and the right people as well. Yeah, so this is a really interesting conversation. I have a sort of couple points to, to hit on based on it. So, Ken, you were saying that this associate that came by didn't even know that a solution existed until <laughs> serendipity happened and he happened to walk by and had the aha moment. And we in, in firms, we, we, and before everybody, you know, we don't do a great job of informing our people about solutions. And, you know, before our listeners start throwing tomatoes at me, um, <laughs> I know I, we I try. Can. It's like, I, I know we try. We give them food. We go to practice. We go to practice group meetings. We do it, you know, on onboarding. Um, we try and get in front of them. But it's that never-ending struggle that, you know, this is not their job and this is to support their job and to try and get that attention. Have you seen good ways to do that or ways that you have seen that work? Hitting you um, with a very easy question here, Ken. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, because I, I keep thinking There's about... no right answer. I know that, but... <laughs> no, no, but I, I think that the analysis isn't complete because there's two parts of the story, right? I, I think you have to talk about both sides of the equation before you answer that question. There's the you know attorney, associate, and the partner side of things that we just were talking about. And then there's the part of the firm that does a lot of this work because they're also part of this equation. Significantly, in many cases, we've found they can make or break our opportunity in a heartbeat. And they can do it for very... I'm going to use the word selfish, but I don't mean that in a very nasty way, but in in realistic way, you know, there's things that there's, those folks do either by perception or reality that they think that their jobs could be at risk. They think that they're doing a lot of overtime work in this particular area, and they don't want to lose that overtime because that's a significant part of their incomes. We did a trial recently for a law firm 
where at the beginning of the process, the paralegals are extremely excited, and yet somehow over the course of the next two or three weeks, they barely used it. And the only conclusion we come to at the end of it is that somehow they perceived all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, what am I going to do with my time if all of a sudden these discovery responses take, you know, an hour instead of four? What am I going to do? You know, what am I, I'm getting over time. What, you know, am I going to lose that income? I mean, can't blame them, by the way. I mean, perfectly understandable, but it's also a very big part of that equation. When we go to onboard new clients, we go to close an opportunity. There has to be comfort on both sides that, you know, from the management's perspective, I'll define management as partner or associate, you know, that they're going to get something good out of this, but they're also not going to create an enemy of the folks that support us every day of the week. It's a balancing act. I'm, I'm not trying to be coy about how I answer it, but, you know, each situation we walk into, we have to figure out who the players are and who has, at the end of the day, real power. And the example I just gave you, the paralegals and the legal assistants had all the power. And they put the kibosh on it, ultimately. All right. So that's interesting because that sort of deals with my, my second point. And it's about inclusivity and perhaps fear. Who are the decision makers? Like, it was interesting you bring up the paralegals because I was going to point out that, you know, generally the decision makers are the folks at the top, the folks who have control of the money. It's like, okay, are we going to spend on this or not? Oftentimes, perhaps not all of the right team members are empowered to have a say or to sort of think of, you know, think outside the box in terms of different ways of doing things. So what tactics have, have you found that are useful to get the right people in the room or in the, even in the process, the overall process, and also get them kind of aware that there might be other ways of doing things? You need leadership to be strong and very communicative and able to really talk about why it is they're bringing in someone like us to do this function that they've all been doing for a very long time. They have to be able to communicate that, you know, the reason we're doing this is, uh, you know, we want to streamline this process and save some time because we'd like to bring in more business might be one reason, right? We, we'd like to do more or we have more. You guys are already working your tails off and you can't get it done. And then we're behind and then, you know, we're, we're taking hits because we're behind. This is a way that we can catch up on the work. And I just heard that from an insurance company last week. They're just underwater and, and this will help them get like, that's the biggest thing I think we've learned in the stories that I've heard is that when there's someone who has a real clear vision of what they want to do, why they want to do it, and they communicate that vision to everyone that can be involved, project goes smoothly, project goes quickly, everybody's you know ready to go, there's no problem. When that communication is not there, then the people that are doing the work, that again, the legal associates, the paralegals, they can stop this thing. They have all the power because no one's helped them alleviate their fears, which are absolutely real. 100%. If, they, if someone's threatening my income, essentially, these two guys from this company where Invest are coming in to take my money away, it's not happening. It's not happening. I don't care what, you know, what anybody says. Um, but if there's, someone got to be, there's got to be an incentive, hundred percent incentive or just, you know, reality here's, you know, we're all in this together. Here's what we're doing. It. It's going to do you think this is going to be good for you in the long run. I'm going to explain to you why this is going to happen. When that happens, these projects go very, very well. When that doesn't happen, they don't go at all. That's what yeah. we see. Just thinking about this conversation, kind of pulling back just a little bit. A lot of times we talk about, um, you know, getting something in the door, uh, especially sales cycle on for law firms, especially is extremely long. 
and I have a, a, a phrase that I, I actually haven't used the last few episodes, but I'm going to use it here is that, you know, all problems are communication problems because yes, you know, there's decision makers who have the power to bring things into the law firm, into the the legal team. So there's that power, but you know, it's the, the users that can take a, you know, a, a, it could be a multi-million dollar investment and turn it into shelfware. If that communication isn't there to explain, you know, here, here's the vision that we have of why we're doing this. Here's the output that we're looking at. Here's where you play a, a piece in accomplishing that goal. Here's the reward at the end of the day for doing that. And if you don't have that conversation and you introduce not just a new product, but you introduce uncertainty into it, that's when you have people that are actually in the in the trenches doing the work can you know sink that whole project if you're not careful and if you don't have that clear vision of where where we're going with it 100% and I'm a guy who sold some of that <laughs> shelfware over the years and it was just you know disappointing to see that it just didn't work out because all the intentions were there but no one had set the expectations properly and and at the end of the day life is a lot about expectations so that's what we need to do a better job of I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the response creator, which which is um, one of the, the newer tools there that you have at uh, at LegalMation. And I want, I want to tie this into this conversation that, that we're having about how this impacts it, but also kind of broaden it up a little bit and talk about, you know, the discussion of generative AI and the concerns and the roadblocks that, that you encounter when you bring in software or a new way of doing things um, that create that downstream uh, impact. So uh, kind of tying this in, how do you address this as far as helping them, you know, kind of create that story to tell the people that are using, this is why we're doing it, this is the effect. How do you approach that? So with, with our applications, we actually have two approaches. Um, there's a lot of things that we do that are really smart productivity tools, I call them. You know, we, we've taken some existing technology that works really well that people are familiar with and OCRing and, and some other smart things that have absolutely nothing to do with AI um, in right. many ways. So there's, there's something they can do without that. We hope that, you know, makes them a little bit more comfortable. But secondly, there are, you know, some AI options. As Thomas mentioned, they've been around for a number of years now. We've been sort of battle-tested AI. But in our case, we're not looking at the the entire universe, you know, to, to, to create our AI tools. We're not, you know, bringing in, you know, websites since 2003 and all that stuff. You know, there's nothing scary about it. The only thing that we do with those AI technologies is work straight pointed at the client's own data set and nowhere else. So, you know, the approach we take is you can kind of take this as you want to at your pace. If you want to start off just being very smart about how we turn, you know, complaints into fully answered responses, having nothing to do with AI, we can do that. That's fine. You don't have to bring in that component to it if you want to ease your way into it. And then we can explain exactly what the AI component is. And again, it only works on the firm's data set. So it, it's not a scary thing. Having worked in the in the first wave of this stuff, you know, many years ago, and I think that's when I met both of you, which didn't deliver those promises in large part, this is not that. This is a much smarter approach to it. And that's the discussion we have with folks who have that concern. So one of the challenges, of course, with uh, generative AI, as you're familiar with GPT and even the uh, 
not just a chat with GPT-4 uh, and 5 coming up soon. Uh, they do rely on large language models and information and data that is publicly available and it's sort of a massive amount of information and it can distill for you a bunch of stuff. Our approach is uh, certainly using the same general techniques but focusing on just clients on historical data. So there are no hallucinations. In fact, the system is never wrong. You cannot make up things because it's not drawing from any other source other than clients on historical prior responses and and uh, answers. And I do want to give one specific example where this works really, really well. A large part of my business is uh, working with uh, auto manufacturers, automakers, and law firms that serve automakers with uh, lemon law cases. You know, we're in California, and California is the biggest market for lemon law lawsuits for a number of reasons. And um, our system is able to be trained on a client's own historical responses to discovery requests, RFAs, RFPs, and interrogatories, as an example. What used to take about three to four hours per set, now, even with the sort of uh, the process of using our tool and editing and reviewing, is down to less than an hour. Now, that's a huge difference because there are thousands of cases. In fact, we're on track for one auto manufacturer to get hit with, boy, I want to say maybe 3,000 cases just this year alone. So you can imagine the, the savings that uh, they'll, they'll benefit from uh, using our tool. And the law firm is actually surprised that you may, may not be surprised, but one other uh, automaker uh, is a client because of, of their main law firm that approached us. They have proactively actually reached out to us and to figure out how they're going to serve the client better because they understand, again, the long game here is to maintain the relationship, to earn more business potentially from the same client with other matters. And so they actually came to us. They signed up. They worked with us to train the system. Of course, the client is fully aware, but now that relationship has been really solidified. And that's an example of the right type of cases where you have a lot of competition among law firms where you have to be competitive, you have to offer something different other than, hey, we went to the best schools and we have 20 years of experience, give us the work. <laughs> well, if you're answering a request for proposal for a portfolio of cases and all you have is your usual resume, well, I think those days are over. I think you gotta bring some different angle and technology is the great equalizer. And this is why now you have, not just are you competing with another large firm that but now you're going to be competing with smaller, more nimble law firms that can do probably as good or better work than you because technology allows them to elevate themselves and it serves as a great equalizer. And by the way, these high volume cases make up 80 plus percent of litigation in the, in the country anyway. So why are we messing around with the point ones, point twos when you know that a bulk of these cases eventually is going to come to you uh, in the form of clients asking you, the firm, about what are you doing with tools, or the worst thing that can happen is they're going to move their work away to another firm that's already using these tools. So your choice. I see. I love that story of, you know, firms sort of taking an innovative approach to the client relationship and looking, you know, not only at the legal services, but, but also looking at the business services and for the process and, and sort of like, how do we work together since we're, you know, sharing these, these documents, how do we, you know, work in the best way to, to make that as easy as possible? Um, I think that's terrific. So another exciting thing, we're going to do a live demo for the YouTube viewers a little later. 
So I'm excited about that. But before we get to that, let's hear about what the product does and the problem that you've set out to solve with Response Creator. So the problem is that answering these documents, responding to them, is by and large, with very few exceptions, a 100% manual process. It involves things like copy and pasting from PDFs that come from the courts into a brand new empty document, or sifting through a maze of templates to try to find the one that matches the one you're working on now, or looking in particular templates where there's a list of answers that's as long as a roll of toilet paper to try to find the one that matches up with the question that you're looking at now. And some of these processes, you know, they may be quicker for complaints, which don't tend to be as long, but boy, if you get into some of the discovery documents, some of those, the responses required number in the hundreds, and it can take days. It can take a day just to set the format of the answer up, let alone even answer the question, right? So that's going on every day of the week, all the days that end in Y, because we know they're working overtime on Saturday and Sunday, in corporates, in law firms, and, you know, even service providers are doing this sort of stuff um, it, all over. You know, we just know that. That's just a fact. So what this product targets is taking the process that they're doing every single day of the week, often repetitively answering the same kinds of questions in the same style, and allowing technology to be smarter about answering those in a more automated way. It's not an automatic answer. That's not answering and automatically filing. We don't have, we're not scaring anybody that way. It, you know, you'll, you'll build the answer and someone will look at it before it goes out the door, of course. But the idea is to set up the answer format. In some cases, maybe automatically drop the answer in to the right spot because we know what the answer is going to be all the time. The repetitive cases Thomas was talking about before. You know, we know what the answers are going to be, but we still have to answer them. And then in some cases, giving us the option to, you know, plug in language where we need to with just point and click kinds of things, you know, where you're, you are using some judgment because you need to, but at least you're automating that process and the language that's being used is more best practices, right? It's coming from the way the firm wants to answer it or the way the client wants the question answered. Or maybe it's tailored to a particular attorney's style of answering. I, I laughed out loud a few weeks ago when our one of our trial customers, uh, the paralegal, said, well, I work for two attorneys. They both answer the questions exactly the same way, except attorney B likes citations at the end of theirs. And that person, current process, has to go find the template of the one with the citations and the one without them and drop them in. Well, in our world, we can you know, tag it and make it easy, and they can just point and click and, and do that sort of thing. But that's real life. That happens all the time. So, so that's the problem that we're the problem that exists, and that's the problem that we're addressing and trying to solve. You had mentioned, and we talked over the past couple of weeks about this, in that the way that Response Creator is set up is one, it works with your history of documents that you that you've used, um, so it kind of picks up that tone of how the firm responds to these types of of matters. And you're using the AI to do it. Now, one of the things I think a lot of people are very concerned about, especially with, with some of the creativity that they're seeing in some of the generative AI tools for better, for worse, is that, you know, on some of these things, you, you, you don't want it to necessarily be all that creative. You want it to fit your format. You want it to, to give a, a standard answer. But at the same time, you don't want it to look like you've just cut and paste something you know, or you want to be able to have that ability 
to use your your own judgment, your own creativity. So how do you set this up so that it can learn and adapt over time um, to to fit those needs and and keep that uh, speed of reaction of of responding at, at an acceptable level? The one thing that's good about our system is that creativity that you're talking about, uh, you know, because I don't know if, uh, I'm sure, Greg, Marlene, you guys have both experimented with ChatGPT, at least the free version, or perhaps you have uh, your firm license, some of the other, the, the paid versions, but you run the same query for the same document, so you ask it to summarize, let's say, you know, some document. Uh, you get a different answer every time. And that's a problem for lawyers because it's unpredictable, right? So we don't have that problem because the system will simply pick the best answer uh, from the existing database of prior already presumably pre-approved and served responses from the past. So you're not going to have that issue, number one. Number two, will the system continuously learn? Absolutely. And that's the that, that's the difference here where we can onboard a client in a month or two uh, or less, uh, depending on the workflow, with just a seed set, what we call a seed set, which is a smaller sample of historical responses. And then when users start actively using the system, remember, that becomes essentially training data because we capture everything that typing, every keystroke is captured, and that we store, which we then use as training data to backpropagate to the uh, data warehouse, and that becomes new response options from which the system can choose from. So it's never making up stuff. It is uh, picking the best options from an existing set. And for legal, that is what lawyers and paralegals need. They need that sort of predictability, the consistency, right? Lawyers freak out when they can't predict what's going to come next. Um, <laughs> again, it's not for every case, right? It is for the more high, higher volume matters, which comprises, again, most of the litigation volume in the country. So uh, that's what's been quite successful for us, and we're very excited about that. It was quite painful, actually, to develop the system. It's, it's very difficult, and it's always been fine-tuned and improved on. And uh, one thing, though, what this allows then at, at the sort of higher level, it allows some corporate clients to say, hey, you know, here's what we've noticed. Once you've sort of put this up and we're testing, you know, we've noticed that our old outside counsel has such variations in their responses for the same request or the, for, for the same allegation in the same jurisdiction, completely inconsequential, but because we're all artists. Greg, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we like to sort of, you know, create our own sort of uh, responses because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's artistry. Well, at the corporate level, that's a problem because oftentimes uh, it may land, land you some trouble. Uh, and so what you want, this, a system like this that allows you to create sort of that consistency across the board to pick perhaps the best answer or the, the, the pre-approved answers that should be used for certain allegations without all the extraneous things or, so let's face it, a, a huge part of our business, because we're a service business, there's a human element where, look, I don't function as well at four o'clock in the afternoon as I do at eight o'clock in the morning. So I may rush through some of my answers as an associate. I know that uh, you know an associate may be trying to rush quickly through doing their work because they have happy hour coming up in 15 minutes. Well, I mean, let's face it, 
a machine's not going to care about that. So there is a lot of benefits to that option as opposed to relying on the current state of affairs. So if lawyers are concerned about losing the human touch in the process, either based on quality concerns or maybe even based on sort of education and learning concerns, you know, you kind of have to do the scut work in order to learn this stuff. How do you reassure them that, you know, AI generated documents, you know, will be of the same quality and that people doing the work are still going to learn as part of the process. Where does human review and, and editing, you know, come into play in that regard? Yeah, no, that that's an excellent question. You know, in terms of the learning process, I think we can look at it a couple different ways. Some of these cases, some of the, you know, the points that are made, you know, they are virtually identical every single time, particularly you talk of these high volume cases where you see the, the same stuff. Um, the person's going to learn in about three answers exactly what he or she is supposed to answer every single time. You know, whether I point and click and drop the answer in or I manually type it in, the learning curve is pretty quick with those sorts of things. Anytime it comes to something that's not of the cookie cutter variety like that, you know, then you're going to have the opportunity to either put in a, a nuanced answer or you are going to type the answer in automatically because remember one of the great benefits of our system is that we create the answer format in the first place. By speeding up that process, we're opening up a space for you to answer it in several different ways, as you'll see when we get to the demonstration. So the learning comes in different ways and learning advances over time, and it's generational, as Thomas mentioned earlier. I don't think that you're going to lose anything. All you're going to do is speed up the curve with things that don't merit taking a whole lot of time on and give you the opportunity now with more time to learn and spend time on the things that you do need to, to spend more time on. That, that's, that's been my take on it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, mid-90s, first year law school, we were not given access to Westlaw or LexisNexis because the school's philosophy was, hey, you need to learn how to go to the library and pull up your the, the books. And of course, you're happy to do that until you realize that the, the shepherdized insert was missing because your classmate took it and they were reading it somewhere down the hall and they forgot to put it back. Yeah. So Forgot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you want to forget that. Exactly. So, I mean, then literally, I remember professors saying, no, 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 you, you, this, this, this side, this is like a supplement. Yeah, it can help you. This, this, this Westlaw stuff can help you later on. But the, right now you have to learn to, to do book research. You got to learn the structure. You got to learn the structure of how yeah. it's organized. Yeah. And so the answer is now we know that you be actually, you be committing malpractice if you wasted clients time to go to the library and do your research in the old fashioned way without using uh, Westlaw or, or using Westlaw or, or LexisNexis exclusively, mm -hmm. you get the idea is how much are you learning from cutting and pasting or uh, going back to old samples and trying to do your sort of the, the, the matching process that you have to do. Let system do it for you. And then when you get a draft and you read through it, you understand. You're going to understand why that response was there. I mean, that's how you learn. When I was at uh, AALL, I, I heard a really good quote. Again, I, I wish I could figure out who, who it was that said it so I could credit them with them. But um, the quote was, uh, you know, law firms are rushing to be second, especially when it comes to technology. No one wants to be first, but they don't want to be last either. So now that you guys are out there, you have a product like uh, Response Creator that is in the hands of you know, a number of competitors to, you know, the, the people that want to be second. What's been the response uh, so far that you tell them and, and what, you know, can you give an example of a story where 
can share in terms of uh, you know the, the metrics uh, that and the efficiency gains that people that have implemented it are are bragging about. Yeah, there's a lot of stories. I mean, I'll I'll start and Thomas will fill in. I mean the the benchmark I use when I'm talking to folks who want to learn more about us is to assume an average of 30 minutes per document prepared saved by itself. Just call it 30. Some complaints may be shorter. Some discovery documents may be longer. But let's do some math and call it 30 minutes faster. So depending on your perspective, you know, if you're in a large you know, insurance company and you're doing hundreds and hundreds of these things, I mean, we, we just did a calculation for a prospect a while back that it would save them six bodies of time in a year. At 30 minutes and they and they looked at me and said you're nuts 30 minutes is too light but you know i don't want to <laughs> I, I don't want to make it too crazy because six was crazy as it was that's where i start but we've done some other studies you know that that make it more specific it actually makes us confident that 30 is light but it's it doesn't make people think we're nuts that kind of thing yeah i mean i i typically use more percentage sa savings uh, time and efficiency as a starting point and that's 50 percent or more 30 minutes is, of course, Ken's referring to some of the very high volume sort of auto uh, you know, part crash cases, very routine type of high volume cases. But I will tell, I'll give you one example. One of the, uh, a, a large um, pharma company that was starting to get some lawsuits in one of their products. These complaints uh, tend to be rather long. They're not the typical four page complaint for uh, a slip and fall case or auto accident. Some of these complaints were 190 to 300 allegations paragraphs. I don't know what that translates to pages, but for this pharma company share that one of the MLA 100 firms that they engaged was billing about um, 10 hours to, to draft an answer for each complaint. <laughs> and they wanted to see what we could do well. We got their prior samples, and just as a test, we ran it through. Uh, we, we sort of created the answer tool for them, and uh, even though the system wasn't able to answer all the paragraphs, it was able to answer, let's say, 80% because of the, of the training data. But ultimately, what now they were able to do is from the 10 to even 20 hours of billables that they were paying their AMLO 100 firm just for the answer, their in-house counsel could do this in an hour. Because they saw, essentially, a system would spit out a draft, like a fully drafted answer with each allegation answered. And then a few that were missing, of course, they were very uh, uh, unique so that they had to go in. And, and, but even the review time, if you could just read quickly, review, uh, it wasn't it was out. It's a complete game changer. That's less common than sort of the bulk uh, other type of cases that we handle. But that's an example of the power of a system like this. It doesn't matter how long it is. It might take a little bit longer to process by another minute or so by our system, mm -hmm. but that's the type of uh, efficiency that you can gain on one extreme. And then the other extreme, of course, even if you save 30% of your time on your high, high volume matters, well, you multiply that by the number of cases, the, the, uh, the big picture is actually very significant. So we are at the point in time where we come to the crystal ball question. We ask both of you to sort of peer into your crystal ball and see what challenge or change in, in the legal industry is going to happen over the next two to five years. So, Thomas, I will start with you. Oh, boy. Uh, I've answered this in many different ways, and, and, I, and I, I, I shift quite a bit. But I think the, the core prediction that I have remains, which is I always thought to myself, 
you can take the life cycle of a litigation matter. There's no reason why one team, one person, or, or one firm should handle everything from A to Z. Now, clearly, that's contrary to what everybody would say, which is, wait a minute, you need to know the facts from the beginning all the way to trial. But if you really think about what you can do and can you modularize the practice of law, can you modularize the, the, the cycle of litigation as an example where one firm or one team only does depositions, one team does only written discovery, one team does uh, the initial pleading stage, and one team does the expert depositions as a separate sort of, a, and then one team, of course, does the trials. I think that is possible. And I think that not only creates uh, some efficiencies and obviously savings that come along with that, but I think it gets, gets, gives you the best results possible. An example is, you know, I had um, a, a partner who was fantastic at written work, right? Their MSJs and their pleadings and everything else that they did was just like poetry. Fantastic. But you put it in front of a jury for trial, it crumbles. <laughs> why is it that person is going to take the case all the way through? And that this is why you do have examples where you have the parachuting trial attorneys who come in sort of 20, you know, 30 days before the trial, they, they get up to speed and they can still try the case. That's just one example of what you could then apply to the rest of a litigation life cycle. So on top of that, that's part number one, there are big chunks of that then that can be handled by a non law firm entity, right? We already have the ALSPs, uh, trying legal service providers, and you have, you know, there got to be new law firms that are be that are going to be owned by non-lawyers, as you know. A lot of that is is already coming to reality in Arizona. So you're going to have such options. If you're a client, you have so many different options to handle your cases, especially high volume cases. That I think, if you're a law firm, I would be more thinking about specialization as opposed to a full service and law firm which has worked until today, uh, but I don't think it's going to be as lucrative going forward or really as smart going forward. Well, I like that very much. That is super disruptive. So uh, <laughs> I, hope, I hope we get a lot of feedback on that. Ken, what does your crystal ball say? Yeah, mine is uh, probably a big, bigger picture kind of thing. Um, I think a lot about what Thomas said before about generational, and I think about the younger people that are coming in now and what their lives have been like for the last, let's call it 25 years, something like that. And so my perspective is having three of those children in that age range and watching what's going on with things like the real resistance to return to the office and, you know, the desires of these kids to, to live a, you know, a more, quote, normal life and still want to be lawyers and still want to do those things. And also demanding technology to be part of what they do. They don't want to do the grunt work. They think they can figure it out. Like I said earlier, I see it three times. I'm good to go. All my kids are like that. I don't, I don't need to you know, practice this. I know what it is. I, I, you, got, you told me, I got it. There's an element of BS to that, of course. But I, I, I think in large part, this is the way they are. You know, they, they don't, they're not going to go through all the stuff that a lot of us have a slightly older age, um, went through in the past, uh, where, yeah, you're going to, you know, you're going to do that for a year and get your 10,000 hours and all that stuff. They don't have the patience for any of that stuff because they think that the technologies that help them get where they want to go much faster. I've even said yeah, years ago, I was in another place and I, I challenged our marketing person to go find me all the law firms they could where the managing partner was in their early fifties at latest, because they're just going to be more technology 
you know, it's not, I'm not being nasty about or ageist about it. The fact is they've been exposed to more technology in their lifetimes and can relate to what I do versus someone who just hasn't. And I see that trend happening. You're going to see these younger people in those positions and they're going to demand a legal nation come in or all these other technologies. It's not an if, and they're going to look at the firm more than ever and say, okay, what is your technology stack? Are you using this? Are you using that? You're not using that? That's fine. I'll take the offer from the folks across the street. That's a better gig, even if it's for less money. So that, that's what I see over the next few years. It's going to be interesting to watch what these, dare I say, kids <laughs> are, are going to do, um, and they're going to yeah. want to happen you know, in this profession and others too, but this one in particular. One retirement at a time. That, exactly. That is true. I like <laughs> that. Much faster now, I think, than before. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those who are listening on the audio platform, um, if you want to see a demonstration of LegalMation, you can head over to the YouTube channel to see more. Ken and Thomas, thank you both for taking the time to uh, come in and talk with us. It, that, that was great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. And of course, thanks to all of you, our listeners, for taking the time to listen to the Geek and Review podcast. If you enjoy the show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at GayBauerM on Twitter, LinkedIn, and MGayBauer66 on Threads. And I can be reached at, on LinkedIn or at Glambert on Twitter or GlambertPod on Threads. Uh, Thomas Ken, if uh, someone wanted to continue the conversation, learn more, Where's a good place for them to find you online? Uh, they can go to our website. There's a communication tool there. They can see us on LinkedIn. Both Thomas and I are there. Um, you can email us directly. I'm ken.block at legalmation.com. Or, or thomas.legalmation.com. <laughs> but Ken, Ken can remain the main contact. <laughs> Reach out to Ken. <laughs> All roads lead to Ken. Yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least initially. Yes. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSica. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, uh, Ken, Thomas, talk to you guys later. Yeah, yeah thanks bye very bye. much. <laughs> <laughs>